sermon text for this morning is James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has, con- has conceived, gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Redemption Church. Happy New Year. Happy belated New Year. Hopefully you guys are a good three days in to your New Year. Uh, I will say it is a pleasure to be here and a a pleasure to preach. It's always a privilege to get to preach God's Word. I will say being gone for about eight days, I I missed you guys. Uh, I was was actually bummed that I missed the Christmas Eve service. We were in Southern California with my uh, in-laws and and their family, which was great. But uh, there was something about just not being with my community, being with my church family in that Advent kind of closing season that, uh, that I really missed. And so I just want to say it's good to be back. Uh, there's some, even though we're in the cold, even though you're probably wishing you brought your jacket right now, uh, know that for me as I'm up here, I'll try to get, uh, try to get some energy uh, going through here, and I'll be pacing back and forth, so I'll be plenty warm, I think. But uh, <laughs> we got that going on there. Um, like Dave said, my name is Stephen, and uh, pastoral, pastoral resident here uh, means I do a little bit of everything. Um, I don't know. Yeah, do a, do a little bit of everything. I'm glad I don't have to move chairs in this room, so uh, that's already set up. Uh, some of you might be feeling right about now. It's January 3rd. Post-Christmas blues are still kind of hanging out, and uh, you might be thinking vacation, probably for most of us, is over tomorrow, and you're thinking, I need a vacation from my vacation right about now. Especially if you have kids, you're probably thinking, when can school start that we can send them off? I see one parent has his fist in the air, so he's saying amen to that. Um, Where we've been, like Dave said, the last five weeks, we've been looking at hope. And the four weeks in Advent, we kind of looked at the traditional Advent season, looking back at Jesus' first coming, humbly, unexpectedly as a baby, to initiate his kingdom and to initiate his redemption. And then last week, we looked ahead to Jesus' second coming, not as an infant, but as a triumphal king, to fully establish and fully bring about his kingdom, bring about full redemption and full restoration, evil eradicated, justice is complete, and we will say at last. But we're not at that day. We're at today. And today we must look back and look forward in these in-between times, in these already but not yet times that we live in. Our hope for the future and our understanding of the past shapes our view of the present. And the good news, church, is that Jesus won on the cross. We say this every week as we come and we celebrate as we take communion, declaring Jesus' victory over sin, death, and Satan. Jesus wins on the cross and he wins on the last day as well, we are promised. And that is good news. And if we are in Christ, we win as well. And that radically shapes today. So we want to talk about that. Before we get into this, though, we want to make sure everyone has a Bible. So if you do not have a Bible, would you please raise your hand? Uh, If you just forgot yours, uh, as you go and leave, please leave it at the Connect Desk. But if you don't own a Bible, this is a gift to you. We want to make sure everybody has a Bible and everyone is equipped with God's Word. We stood earlier out of reverence and awe for God's Word. It is perfect and inerrant. Uh, We don't stand for when uh, the, the, the preacher starts talking because it is the mere words of man. But God's Word is the Word of God alone. So let me pray, and then we'll get to it. Also, if you needed a Spanish Bible, uh, please just indicate so, and we'll get one to you. So let me pray. God, thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you uh, 
just even, uh, even in these cold auditorium. Thank you we're in an auditorium with a roof, with a heater, even if it doesn't work so great. Uh, Lord, we thank you that um, we're reminded of our brothers all over the world that are huddled up outside meeting in the dead of night. And we don't have to do that. We can meet at a public school in our city. Lord, I pray that you would shape us this morning, shape us with your word. I pray that um, you would guide me as I lead through this, that um, I would follow you. Holy Spirit, lead me. The, the, as you changed my heart, molded my heart, gave me a new one, give me uh, passions for you. Give all of us a passion for your name. Lord, I pray that you um, would continue to expose areas of our lives that are not surrendered to you. And I pray that this gospel, we would see that it is our present hope and our present hope to change. Lord, illuminate our hearts. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's get to it, Redemption. The question is, what are you hoping for? We're talking about how uh, this hope series, and we've been talking about it for five weeks. We're closing it out. And the question is, take a second, be honest with yourself, and ask, what am I hoping for for 2016? Uh, When you think about 2016 and this year being a good year, what comes to mind? Take a second and think about that. And I I think for most of us, our hope is built around changing ourselves or changing our circumstances. Our functional hope is, I think if we're honest with with ourselves, whether we like it or not, our functional hope is that if we only looked this way, then life would be different. If only I could kick this habit, if only I could end this addiction, if only I could change myself in this way, I'd be a new person. You know, if only I fell in that income bracket, whichever that one it is, then all my problems, or at least a majority of them, would simply take care of themselves. If only I could get them to notice me, a job, uh, a romantic interest, then I know I'd have value and I'd be validated. You know, if only my family, this one might hit close to home at this time of year, if only my family was more like this family or more like that, then I'd finally have peace. And what we're saying here is that if we only had this or if we only had that, then we'd be saved. See, if you follow your hopes and your dreams far enough, eventually you'll find your God. And if at the end of this road it's not Jesus, it's idolatry. Uh, uh, Dave talked about this last week, that idols are good things like spouses and jobs and families and careers and kids and and homes. and, And they're good things that become everything in our lives. See, idols are good things that have become God things in our lives. And and I'll be honest with you, I struggled in my preparation of kind of where to go from here. I just felt burdened. There's a lot of directions we could go. And I kind of felt that in this particular time, in this particular place, in our cultural context, there was a specific idol I wanted to talk about. Um, And I think it's an idol that we're all bowing down to, if you will, in a certain way, um, to varying capacities uh, and degrees in this season. And that's the idol of self. See, again, if we're honest, many of us, what we're hoping for in this room in 2016 is a better version of ourselves. We're hoping for a changed version of ourselves. And here's the catch that all of our New Year's resolutions and all this, and I'm not necessarily being bagging on New Year's resolutions and anything like that. But I think the, the catch is that we forget and that we, we, we don't tend to remember is that we've tried this before, right? We played this game before and it didn't work. It isn't like 2016 is the first time we came up with a New Year's resolution and now we're going to white knuckle it and we're going to finally change now. We had resolutions in 2015, 14, 13, 12, and here we are. Uh, and I just got to ask, how'd that go? Do you even remember what your resolutions were for 2015? I don't, and I made some. I have no idea what they were. Um, 
Odds are you couldn't keep up the commitment. Odds are I didn't keep up the commitment uh, for, my, for my New Year's resolutions. We, you know, every year we say, you know, this is the year I'm going to get fit. I'm going to go to the gym in January, maybe half the month, month at work. But instead of losing five pounds, we're five pounds heavier than we were, especially this time of year. Uh, this is the year we say we're going to kick this old habit, but we're at it with extra vigor <laughs> this time of year. Or, you know, this is the year that I'm going to start flossing. Is something we say, which if you're not flossing, that's disgusting, and you need to repent of your sin. Um, for I don't floss as much. Uh, I haven't been to the dentist in like three years. Um, I'm confessing this to you. That's what I confessed earlier. Um, for me, though, seriously, I have this moment where literally every day there's a little moment of, of conviction that comes to mind about how, if I feel like I'm self-willed, I just, I just look at my nightstand table. In 2014, I said I was going to start journaling. And uh, which is very masculine, I know, uh, journaling here. It it really uh, was born out of a heart to remember the faithfulness of God, which I thought was a good reason to start journaling. You know, it's kind of the Israel set up 12 stones as a monument to the faithfulness of God and da-da-da-da-da, and I had these these, these things. And, you know, January 1st through like maybe 13th, I had these long page and a half, you know, basically just singing, great is thy faithfulness. And it was was great. Uh, And then, you know, January 15th, and then maybe it was like January 20th, and then maybe February 2nd. Then all of a sudden, it's like March 30th, and I haven't done it in two weeks. And then I turn to like July, and it's like, screw it, journaling sucks, is, is like what, what it ended up being. And uh, that's, I think that's where we're at. That's how we are with the gym, right? It's like, I don't even remember when I last went. You know, it's like, well, I'm paying for it every month. Um, and I think if we're honest, that's where we're at this morning. We have all these expectations, all these goals, all these things but I don't think we can keep up the commitment. I think like Paul writes in Romans 7, if you have a Bible, you can turn there or else it's going to be on the screen. Uh, I think Romans 7 sounds familiar in our lives, uh, eerily familiar if we're honest. Paul says this to the church in Rome. Tell me if it sounds familiar. Verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, That is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Thanks, Paul. Uh, You're speaking to my heart this this morning, um, and hopefully I'm not alone in that. Uh, Here's the bad news, though, guys. We can hear that, and I, I find it comforting. But here's the bad news. You and I cannot accomplish meaningful change by our own efforts alone. I'll say it again. You and I cannot accomplish meaningful change by our efforts alone. We may be able to change our behavior as seldom as that may be, but we cannot change our hearts like a foolish gardener just mowing over weeds without getting to the root. So we often treat our battle with sin and to change the same way, mowing over behavioral weeds without getting to the root of our heart. And we're going to get back to this kind of in the last act of this. But the sad reality, uh, as one pastor says, Pastor Matt Chandler, and this stuck with me when he gave this analogy. He says that we often pit sins against one another in our pursuit of purity. He says we try to change, but we go about it in the wrong ways with the wrong motives and the wrong intentions. Um, He uses an example to explain. He says, um, talking to men, he says men typically tend to struggle, um, not speaking to every man, but typically men tend to struggle with two uh, primary sins. That's lust and pride. 
And these are the two gladiators in the arena, if you will, he says. And he says, you're fighting against the gladiator of lust, which is good. But the problem is you're doing it with the gladiator of pride because you see what's fueling the fight is wanting to be known as a former porn addict for self-validation and to build an identity based on your achievement. And see, you get some time between you and your last incident and you start to feel proud and arrogant and competent in and of yourself and you start looking down on those who are not as advanced, let's say, as you are. And see, lust may have been put to death in a particular area for a particular time, but don't miss this, pride killed lust, and therefore sin still won. We do this all the time. When we strive to change out of any reason that does not originate out of a desire to honor God and a loving response to God. See, we do this all the time. All the time. And we, let's just jump back into our Romans text. Look at what Paul says in verse 24. He says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You can see that in verse 24. He doesn't say, you know, who's going to help me change my behavior? Oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to help me stop lying? Who's going to help me stop envying? Who's going to help me stop lusting? Or wretched man that I am, who's going to help me start flossing or start journaling in this 2016 That's not what Paul says. No, Paul says, who will deliver me from myself? Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? He isn't asking for a better version of himself. He's crying out to be made new. And then the refrain in verse 25, if you have your Bibles, it says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The good news is that Jesus makes us new. Jesus makes us new, not just better. Paul writes elsewhere to the church in Corinth. Uh, Don't turn there. It's in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is a new creation, or if anyone is in Christ, excuse me, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let me read that again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that's good news. And this is why Jesus continually uses the language of being born again. Being born again in Christ, surrendered to Christ. You are a new person. You can't change yourself, but God can change you. See, we are naturally spiritually dead. We talk about this a lot at Redemption. We're not strong enough to raise ourselves. We can't muster up strength to not be dead. But in Christ we're made alive. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us when we surrender our life to Christ. And he raises our dead lives and gives us new hearts. The Bible says that when someone puts their faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives them a new heart from which new desires will come. Some of us that have been walking with Jesus for a while now, you notice you, things you once hated, you now have an appetite for. Things that you once loved have now lost the shimmer and the shine. Our desires have changed because God has changed our hearts and gives us new desires. See, our hope in the present, our hope for change, is not to be made better, simply have behavior altered or modified or improved upon. It's to be made new. See, And I I just got to be clear, this isn't just for people that are not Christians. Like, oh, you need to trust in Jesus and you'll have, you know, you believe the gospel and your heart will be changed. But this is for every single person in the room and every single person that has ever lived. 
See, our hope is found in the gospel. Whether it's the one-time event of salvation being made right with God, or whether it's the lifelong process of continuing to discover the implications of all of this. Either way, our hope is the gospel. Let us never forget. Our hope is in Jesus to save us, and our hope is in Jesus to change us. I I just want to, before we move on, a quick aside. Some of you are incredibly driven, incredibly driven, who get stuff done. There's probably an ASU U of A joke. You're here at U of A somewhere in there. Um, Someone said yes. Uh, When you say you're going to get healthy, uh, you end up in like the CrossFit Olympics, you know. You just don't like, I'm going to lose five pounds. It's I'm going to get just yoked is where you end up. You actually end up convincing yourself that kale and things like that taste good. Good for you. Um, some of you, not so much. You say you're going to get fit and it's like not at all. We're going to be eating pizza and drinking soda in the foyer because we're free in Christ. And you're like, amen. And I'm right in line with you. Um, and I say, bless you. Um, but, he, but hear me in all seriousness. Um, even if you accomplish every one of your goals, even if all of your resolutions for 2016 are realized, even if you change in whatever area you're striving for, you will still be left empty apart from Christ. Whatever version of you, whatever version of you you are striving for and hoping for and seeking for in 2016, whether it's, you know, the six-pack abs version of you, whether it's the CEO, you know, money falling out of our pockets, drive up to Safford in a Porsche, you know, whatever version of you, you know, whether it's the empty nester version of you, whether it's the parent version of you, whether it's the single version of you, uh, if you're honest, or whether it's the married version of you, whether it's the 10,000 Instagram followers of you, Uh, Whatever version of you you are seeking for and striving for, it will not make you whole. This this is a hard word, but I think we need to hear it this morning. That's sometimes one of the greatest gifts of grace God can give us, is to give us exactly what our heart desires, to show us how much it leaves us wanting. See, to show us how it could never satisfy, to show us that even if you get there, Wherever there is for you this morning, you're still going to be left empty. It will not save you. Idols lie. Sin lies. Here's the truth, church. Our hearts are gullible. Don't settle for cheap imitations of what you can have full in Christ. Okay? That's, that's really something I want, to, I want to press into this morning is don't settle for cheap imitations of what you can have full in Christ. And, and see, whether or not we can change our behavior, that, that's really not the point this morning. The fact remains that we cannot change our heart. We cannot change our, our nature. See, we need a new heart. We need someone outside of us to do this. We need to have new desires that will love, serve, and honor God. And the good news is that God can do it. And going back to our initial question, it was, you know, what are you hoping for? What are you hoping for in 2016? And I would imagine also all of us this morning were torn, if we're honest. I think we're torn. Um, This is because this present hope that we're talking about, it's messy. It's really messy. You know, Christians were free, but we keep putting on shackles of sin. As one author, uh, Tim Chester's book, You Can Change, we'll quote this later, says... um, we're like, we're like people that are set free, but we still jump at our old master's voice, our old master of sin. 
And see, we live in these in-between times where Christ came and he started restoration, he started redemption, he started his kingdom, but we're not yet to the completion of it. And so we're in this messy, tense, angsty time, if you will. Sin and spirit are at war within us. We feel that, Romans 7, confliction. I want to do what's right, but I can't seem to do it. I have these desires to do what's right, but I have other desires that are impeding me from being able to do this this morning. We feel torn with confliction in our hearts and in our desires. We resonate with Paul in Romans 7. And I'm I'm just going to argue this morning that I think we're conflicted, and I think these things are happening because we're going about change in the wrong way. See, I think, I, think, I think too often we don't go deep enough. And we just haven't been taught another way. And, and I don't think so much that our desires are inherently evil or wrong. But I think they're often misplaced and misinformed. And so our last verse that we're going to pointedly look at is James 1. We, we read it as our scripture reading. And if it will be up here on the screen. James 1, starting in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. See, James uses this analogy that, that, that desire and temptation are within a person like, uh, like a child in the womb, if you will. And, and, and these desires, in terms of they give birth to sin. And once fully grown, it, it leads to death. And, and many of us this morning, I think we, before we get to the solution, we need to realize that our sin is serious. And I think many of us in the room, myself included, I need to hear this desperately, think that my sin is not that serious. You know, it's only a, a second glance. It's only provoked anger, of course. It's only the occasional lie. It's only innocent gossip. It was all in good fun. I was only buzzed. It was only, I wasn't hurting anyone. Fill in the blank. Not realizing that you and I, we're on a trajectory that sin is taking us. And, and James says that this trajectory, it ends in death. We cannot have life if the track that we're on leads to death. We will not have flourishing if the track we're on, if the waters we're swimming, if the current we are in leads to death. And I think most of us, that's where we're at this morning, whether we realize it or not, or whether we're trying to change or not. In fact, we're not doing anything to change the trajectory. All we're doing is furthering on a new stream that leads to death. See, that baseline anger that keeps bursting out at others, it leads to abuse, it leads to violence, it leads to rage, and it leads to death. A death of a marriage, a death of integrity, a death of intimacy with the Lord, and a death of self-control. See, it's, it's not innocent, it's not small, it's not trite. The, the second glance of, of lust, the flirtatious relationship with a coworker, the not looking away during that scene of the movie or show or that image, it has you on a trajectory of adultery and addiction and pain and death. This isn't scaremongering. This is me encouraging us this morning, as James would say, I think, to wake up to where we're at, where we're at and where we're going. 
It leads to death. It leads to a death of a marriage. Again, death of intimacy with our spouse, whether you're currently married or whether you're single, your current spouse, your intimacy will suffer. Death of intimacy with the Lord and death of a proper view of the opposite sex. James is saying, wake up. He's saying that misplaced desire, he's saying that sin is leading you somewhere and it's called death. He's saying it is leading you to death. And, and this should shock us this morning to a certain degree. And it, it really reminds me, I wasn't necessarily planning on saying this, that it reminds you of that Adam and Eve where Satan says you will surely die when they eat, but, but they don't physically die but spiritually, relationally, in their intimacy, in everything, they die. And James is saying, I, that, that's an image that came to mind as I, as I read this. We will die, maybe in a more truer sense. But the good news, church, is as Christians, we now have something stronger than our old nature and our old desires of sin and death. It is a new nature of life from the Spirit. We do not have to submit any longer if we are in Christ to these old ways and these old masters and these old habits and these old shackles of sin. God is greater than our will, and that is good news. God is greater than our, than, than our circumstances and our present hope to change. Hear me. Our present hope to change is completely wrapped up in God's sufficiency and strength to, to change us. And that is good news because my hope to change cannot be found in my ability. It's found in His sufficiency. And it's in his sufficiency to mold my heart, to align my heart, and to shape my heart to make it like his. See, with his help, we can put to death these old ways and live out of this new identity and this new reality. And naturally, the question is how? That's just where we're all at this morning. Okay, how? I think it goes back to the idea that these desires, they're not inherently evil, inherently bad. Uh, I think they're misplaced. I think it goes back to that gardening analogy. Um, we, we have to get below the behavioral weeds and get to the desire and heart of the matter. Have to get to the roots. See, James says desire leads to sin and sin leads to death. We can't just go back to sin to find our solution. We have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to desire because the reality is if we, if we just try to deal with sin but we never go back to desire, even if we chop off these, these behavioral fruits and weeds, it'll just continually sprout. We have not dealt with the root of the matter and just continually sprout new sin after new sin after new sin. For me in my life, I did not find contentment in the Lord. I still struggle with finding my identity and contentment in God. And... That took root in the form of baseball. And then it took the room of relationships and academia. You would have thought if you looked at my life, man, he's really dealt with his anger in the, in the realm of sports. Wow, he's really changed. The reality is I just changed one idol for another. The same root heart issue had never changed. It just sprouted in a new way. And I think that's the waters we're swimming in. And for me, I was never told another way. The good news there is. We've got to reverse the trajectory. See, take lust. Why do, we, why do we sin in this way? If we're honest, it's, it's a lot of reasons. It's a lot of reasons. Take reasons of pleasure, intimacy, acceptance, control. And you just got to ask, is, is a desire for, for acceptance or intimacy evil? No, of course not. 
But when we seek acceptance, for instance, detached from God and in things in place of God and in things without gratitude from God, things as a replacement of God rather than a response to God, that is sin and that is idolatry and that is slavery because we're drinking from pools that will never satisfy so we got to reverse the trajectory. we got this, this chart up here that hopefully will be sticky and maybe help with you uh, to remember these things. We need to reverse the trajectory so it doesn't end in death, but it will end in life. We start with a longing for acceptance again, but instead of going from a desire that is not found in God, it does not originate in God, it is not oriented toward God, and therefore it leads to sin and death, and we're going on the same old cycle and trajectory. Let's flip the trajectory so it ends in life. See, we turn our desire to God for acceptance and we see in his word that he loves us and that he's adopted us into his family and that he's given us the title of son or daughter and he is our father and he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And we say we have all the acceptance we could ever imagine and dream of. I don't need to look for it in this or that. See, we need to point and direct and orient all of our desire all of our needs and all of our hopes to the one who can satisfy and who can deliver, and his name is God. The objective is not to modify our behavior, alter our behavior, but it's to orient our desire. And we do this by preaching the gospel to ourselves, is what I argue. See, I need, as Tim Chester says, and if, if, if you find this helpful, I would have, could not strongly recommend reading this book, You Can Change. There's another quote from him. He says, I need the continual rediscovery of the gospel to be my fuel for change because it's the only thing that works. I'll read that again. I need the continual rediscovery of the gospel to be my fuel for change because it's the only thing that works. We throw that uh, chart back up here real quick. And just as I'm talking about this, just reflect on these things. We'll leave this up here for a little bit. See, there is a chasm of a difference. These things, as one friend of mine said, these things are diametrically opposed, what I'm about to say. Although they might seem like they're not that different. But there is a world of a difference between saying, don't look at porn because it's bad, versus saying, don't settle for cheap imitations of intimate and pleasure in lust because you have a greater reality in Christ. There's a world of a difference between those things. It's saying Psalm 1611 is true, which says there's fullness of joy at the right hand of God. In God's presence, there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And the question is, do you believe that? This is a faith issue. Do you believe God is true at his word? Do you believe that God is more satisfying than the screen and more enjoyable than the experience? Married folk, do you believe that God has given you provision for intimacy in your spouse and you don't have to look at for another? If so, then why settle? This is a completely different paradigm. Then just don't do this because it's bad. It's not, it's not, don't get angry because it's sinful. It's saying that the control and the power and the justice in which you seek that you feel slighted in, that's why you're angry. Look to Jesus for these things. You, you, you seek control, for instance. If you are in Christ, you are joined with the one who holds the universe together. He holds it in the palm of his hand. He created all things. He controls all things. What more control could you ask for if you are united in Christ? So when things are seemingly spiraling out of control, you remember, I belong to Christ. I could not even ask for more security than what I really have right now. This is not stop bad behavior. It is believe better truths. 
It is not stop bad behavior. It is believe better truths. You're struggling with self-worth this morning? Don't look to others for this. Jesus died for you because he viewed you with such value and he loves you. Do you believe that? You're struggling with guilt. Don't wallow and punish yourself. Jesus died and took all of your condemnation and guilt and pain and suffering and death. There's nothing left for you but love. Do you believe that? That changes the way you view the world. You're struggling with peace. He is the prince of peace. So often, we're seeking something in creation that we already have in the creator. So often, we're seeking something in creation that we already have in Jesus. And see, this, this is preaching the gospel to ourselves. See, this is, as, as Chester talked about, this is singing a better song. And my hope for us this morning is that we would sing a better song. And this isn't just a worship leader joke. That Our hope this morning is that we would sing. So join and put our hands together. This is... I'm, I'm, I'm I don't know if there's anything that's shaped my life more when I viewed change than this just simple idea. Uh, we have a quote here from Tim Chester in his book, You Can Change. He says, In Greek mythology, the sirens would sing enchanting songs, drawing sailors irresistibly toward the rocks and certain shipwreck. Odysseus filled his crew's ears with wax and had them tie him to the mast. This is like the approach of legalism. We bind ourselves up with laws and disciplines in a vain attempt to resist temptation. Orpheus, on the other hand, played such beautiful music on his harp that his sailors ignored the seductions of the siren's song. This is the way of faith. The grace of the gospel sings a far more glorious song than the enticements of sin. If only we have the faith to hear its music. I love this. <laughs> I love this. And in closing, church, let's, let's remember, you don't have to turn there, but let's remember Romans 7. Remember Paul saying, I, I can't do the right I want to do. I, 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 I'm struggling. I don't understand my actions. I want to do what's right, but I can't seem to do it. I'm torn. I'm struggling. Who's going to save me from this body of death? He declares the struggle in Romans 7. And you know what Paul doesn't do? He doesn't say white knuckle it. Endure. Just change your behavior and you'll be a new person. He doesn't go the way of legalism. He doesn't tell him stuff wax in your ears. Don't listen to the enticements of sin. No, he sings a better song. He proclaims the hope in the gospel. He says something true, or he says, believe the truth. He says in Romans 8, in one of the most beautiful passages, in one of the most beautiful chapters in all the Bible, read it later on your own, Paul tells them that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, you have been set free from sin. He says, you have the Spirit of God, and the same Spirit that dwells in you raised Christ from the dead, and he will raise your dead bodies. And he says, now out of this identity, go and find sin and sin no more. He says, do not submit any longer to a yoke of slavery, for you are set free. He says, live out of your identity. You are a son and you are a daughter of God. He says, you have everything. You have an inheritance. You are a co-heir with Christ. He says, you are accepted. He says, you are not alone. Even when you are weak, he says, you are strong elsewhere. He says that the same spirit that is guiding you, he will give you help and he will give you hope in time of weakness. He says, you are never alone. You are called. And he says, you are loved beyond measure. He says, you are victorious. 
And he says that nothing can separate you from the love of God. That good news? It's a better song. And I say, what a song. And now church, out of this identity, with this music ringing in our ears, let us go and sin no more. Live in light of these truths. Sing a better song to yourself. Sing a better song to your spouse. Sing a better song to one another. And sing the gospel of grace. See, let all of our resolutions this year, again, I'm not dogging on resolutions, let all of our change projects this year be saturated and rooted in the gospel, be rooted in this song, never being done to construct an identity, but all done in response to the identity we already have in Christ. Amen? Let us respond and let us pray. God, thank you that you have a better song. Not only did you create music, you say, I have a monopoly on the song. And we're going to sing it for all of eternity. Lord, I pray that you would shape us and you would mold us and you would make us into the people that you're calling us to be. I pray you'd be glorified in our lives. I pray that, as Paul says later in, in Romans, that our lives would be an offering to you. They would please you. Lord, I pray that we would no longer just try to cut off behavioral weeds, but we would get to the root of the matter and change our desire, orienting ourselves to you, God, realizing that you're the only one who can satisfy. We don't want to drink from polluted pools. But God, we need new desires. Thank you for saving us and giving us those, but continually give us those. Lord, I pray that sin would be less appetizing to us, and I pray obedience and holiness would be tasteful. Lord, as we sing, I pray that this would be a reminder to us to sing a better song. You are so good to us. You are our good Father who has adopted us into your family. We talk about hope. You're going to win on the last day. And you won on the cross. Let us sing now to you, God, with all of the hope that we have, reflecting and meditating on the truths of your gospel and on your word. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.